Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today our passage comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 1 through 10. As we always do, we'll read our passage, break it down a little bit, talk about some applications. Here we go. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which where the lamp stand and the table and the bread of presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. So remember that chapter 8 ends with, well, most of chapter 8 deals with, specifically verses 8 through 13, deal with how the old covenant is imperfect, it's ready to vanish away, is the way the chapter ends, and it's hinting towards, as in reference to Jeremiah 31, that a new covenant is here, and it's been enacted on better promises. It does not elaborate what those promises are. It's simply making the argument that the new covenant is a lot better. Well, here is one of the reasons the new covenant is better, is that the first covenant had regulations for worship and earthly places of holiness. Well, this 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 new covenant is going to offer more, and this is what the rest of chapter 9 gets into, uh, how Christ under this new covenant is a new high priest who has a... Um, Greater authority does greater things on behalf of the people than the former high priest was able to do. What is so, man, um, interesting and really magnificent about the Old Testament is just um, how much we miss by just kind of reading through in a nonchalant way uh Primarily because we most of the time we read just for information, like we're tr- like immediate information. What's most accessible? How does this directly apply to me? And that's the benefits of theology, in in spending time really trying to understand. Anyone can be a theologian. All that requires to be a theologian is someone who's willing to sit and really think on and contemplate the text that's before you. So what's so cool about being Part of the Christian tradition is that we've had 2,000 years of people sitting and contemplating on the text 
and really finding these deep-seated meanings behind things. And um, while these aren't you know, essential to salvation, they're not even essential to you being a Christian, uh, for me, when I think about and read these sorts of things, it really does open up Scripture for me and makes it something that I just can't turn away from. That happens when you get into talking about the temple and the purpose of the temple. And uh, it's important to the argument here because um, these are not just kind of cursory, throwaway uh, objects of the Old Covenant. They have real and lasting meaning. And even into our current day and time, and what they point towards in the future. I like at the end of verse 5 that the writer says, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail because, man, if he went in detail, as we'd assume the Hebrews writer could, he seems like a very intelligent, knowledgeable writer. He says we don't have time to go into these things. But he goes on to, to, make, his, to make his argument. Uh, in verse 8, he says, you know, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened up as long as the first section is still standing into verse 9, which is symbolic for the present age. So all of a sudden he throws in, hey, there's actually a lot of symbolic meaning that's going on when we're talking about the temple and how it's structured. And that's kind of what I wanted to just think on for a moment. And hopefully after we think about this, we can really just sit back and say, wow, God is great. Um, this might not necessarily be one of those studies that say, oh, I need to change this about my life. This is how this applies to me. Rather, this is something that just applies to God's greatness and his, his infinite knowledge in this way. That he's able to give um, these structures in the Old Covenant a new meaning that um, holds significant for us. So a book, well, actually a person that I reference a lot, that Chris references a lot, is a man named James Jordan. He has a book called Through New Eyes, uh, developing a biblical worldview of the, uh, developing a biblical view of the world. So it talks about worldview, and specifically a Christian worldview. Now I teach a worldview class with the, the youth group here, but I wouldn't even get into this <laughs> because it is so complex, and I believe that James Jordan is onto a really cool stream of thought here. But when we get into Hebrews chapter 9 and the Hebrews writer starts detailing the things that are in the uh, the temple, uh, James Jordan goes back into Exodus and where it where God is first detailing to Moses what's to be included in the tabernacle. Uh, we can see that each of these places within the temple and the artifacts and instruments within the temple all have like a double and triple meaning tied to them. Uh, as the Hebrews writer says, of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. <laughs> but it is, it is, it would be benefit beneficial just to maybe talk about the two sections uh, in the way that James Jordan sees it and what I think the Hebrews writer is alluding to is that we have a um, first section that we would call the holy place of the temple. It's, you know, the, the tabernacle would have this outer boundary uh, that anyone could walk into. The same thing would be for like the temple steps. But once you got into the temple proper, there's a holy place and a most holy place. In that holy place, it seems that the Hebrew writer, and James Jordan continues his thought, is a place that um, is symbolic for the present age. And that the holy of holies is a place that we have not yet entered into. 
and cannot enter into because it is the real presence of God. And that's what the Ark of the Covenant was meant to symbolize. Well, it is this true presence of God that Christ has gone into. And tomorrow as they get into, uh, or David will get into verses 11 through 28, we see that Christ goes into this part of the temple. That is, he's going into the future age. That is, he's going into the real presence of God. So we can see it kind of has a, a triple meaning. It is, It can refer to the most holy place within the temple. It can also refer to the future age. It also refers to God's real presence. Christ is the only one that has gone in there. But we can look forward to stepping into the future age. That is the most holy place. That is being in the actual presence of God because of what Christ has done. That's that's amazing. That's incredible that Jesus affords us that opportunity. So, so this present age, just to kind of bring it back up again in verses 9 and 10. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but only deal with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of the Reformation, till the time of Reformation. That is, there's coming a time where we, where we will be reformed in the things that we are doing now are not just shadows of perfection, but we will actually enter into a phase of life, of existence, of eternity, where we are perfected. We are truly perfect in that our gifts and sacrifices offered at that time in the presence of God, are perfect. There's no longer a need to be sanctified. There's no longer a need to be perfected because it will finally find its completion. And that's incredible as well. And that's just within these first 10 verses of chapter 9. There's so many deep points of theology within the book of Hebrews, and this is one of them, that the Old Covenant uh, temple and tabernacle Um, both in their infancy, already displayed what was going to happen under the new covenant and into a time after the new covenant where we are perfected, standing in the presence of God for all eternity. Pretty, pretty cool. I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways this week. Peace and love.